Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Meredith Kramer, co-founder and managing director ANZ at Because Creative Experiences, which was B&T's experiential and promo agency of 2019. Welcome, Meredith. Thanks very much, Darren. It's a pleasure to be here. Because what? Oh, sorry, I, it was the obvious question. But because I, we're delighting, because we're surprising, because the, the great thing is that because is a real action word. So in terms of being able to you know make things happen, because why not? It's yeah. But originally, we had a big B and a big E in cause, and that was brand experience, cause and effect. And like all sort of clever marketing people, realise that actually being clever is more about being simple. So because is where we've landed. And um, you're actually the founder of Because in Australia, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I worked for the London Agency for five years and wanted to get closer to New Zealand. Had sort of mentioned one night drunkenly to our global founder that I'd wanted to start an agency one day. And before the words have fallen out of your mouth, suddenly you're moving to Sydney you're doing a three-year deal, you're taking a massive loan and starting a business. So that's kind of is, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I consider myself probably a business owner and creator and things like that. But that was my path into starting a business. But we had no footprint for what, because Australia at that time was going to look like, what taking an independent experiential agency global actually meant. And as I say, naivety is quite a wonderful thing. That was 2011. Well, optimism, probably. Yeah. You know, it's a blind optimism and enthusiasm. Yeah, totally. And I really enjoyed, I really loved what we did and I loved our clients Like, and I still do. I have relationships that I was lucky that it was a time that all the Brits were exiting London for Australia because Australia was only, wasn't having a global financial crisis. That was everybody else's problem. So I was fortunate that there was a few key people that I had worked with who'd moved over here who was they couldn't get me business. No no person gets you business. You no. always win it by yourself. They were able to open some some doors. But yeah, honestly, the first year was like a hideous year. That's a really good distinction because it's amazing, you know, as a pitch consultant in yeah. quotes, the number of agencies that go, oh, thanks for that business. And I go, no, no, we only open the door. We create the opportunity. It's yeah. still up to the agency yeah. to actually win the business. Totally, because you can always fluff it, you know. You can always, you know, or you can be like the underdog and you have such a great pitch that it's just, you know, that you can, I think mm. I think you know when you've landed it sometimes. Yeah. So, but still yeah. you're, you're won that piece of business, even totally. though someone else has opened the door. Totally. It's still up to you. But experiential, it's such a competitive uh, market or category and in many ways... Like struggles with differentiation, do you agree? I'd say so because I think what we've got is land grab territory as well, that everybody's in on experiential kind of thing. So you've got your sort of niche specialists, and then you've got your, um, I say, like big kind of global agencies who they do experiential too, and they have a two person department. So therefore, they do it experiential. They're not sort of taking away from that, but the, I guess, for 
it's quite an established channel and discipline and the set of marketing around it that goes with it and having a deep understanding of that, having done not just hundreds of types of campaigns, thousands of campaigns, it, I think that I can see how it would be quite confusing for people buying experiential, but I think only when it goes wrong with an agency that you understand they didn't really know. They had a couple of great case studies, but the people working in that business, that's not their core expertise. They're, a, they're actually an above-the-line agency. That's what they believe in. So I guess we come from it from a specialist point of view that we always believe in that live moment. Now, that live moment extends to before, during, and after, and all the amplification that comes with it. But that's our point of view on the world. And I think that it's really important to stand for something. So, Meredith, just expand on that, because I have to tell you, when I sit down and, and a marketer starts talking to me about yeah. an experiential agency, mm. I will say to them, what do you actually mean? And they often are not really sure. They'll say events or, or something else. So just give us a sense of the perspective that because bring to what it is. What's the category? What is it that you do? Well, it could be an event. It could be an experience. It could be a sponsorship activation. I guess there's a delineation between the sampling as well. You know, there's lots of, I can see. Shopper marketing. Totally. And, you know, I kind of believe that it's all brand experience, but brand experience is its own thing, and that gets confusing with customer experience. But I think that um, experiential, if we're talking that, it will usually have that live moment within it, um, that live moment of human interaction and experience. Now, you can have experiential, you could argue that anything is experiential these days kind of thing. You can have experiential advertising and things like that. But I think that for us, it's that live creation of a moment that's emotionally driven. Because again, if we look at sampling, most sampling is just putting a, a sample into somebody's hands as cheaply as possible. Whereas as soon as you add some layer of human engagement and emotion, it can become something else. See, I'm, I'm smiling because uh, if you look at the sampling at places like Costco and those big mm. stores, it's almost the uh, the emotion is uh, gluttony, greed, uh, you know, all of those things. How many bits of cheese and a stick can you get at once? Yeah, you know? How many times can someone go back or yeah. push in on yeah. someone else? You know? But change that into an engagement, and I think about Costco and I think about a lot of founders who do their, who run their own sampling at a Costco, you know, and they would be, talking about their story and their product and the identification of why this product is absolutely right and who it will be. As soon as that engagement and that relationship, that conversation becomes a lot more tailored, then that sampling experience can turn from something very one-dimensional where we just push cat food one day, cheese on a stick the mm. next day to something more meaningful. So, But um, PR seems, you know, public relations companies are heavily into experientially. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting because we actually don't work agency to agency. That's traditionally not great business, um, double handling fees mm. and also a live environment. I think what a PR agency that I was spoken to recently was saying that we can do anything not to 100 people, but as soon as it gets over 100 people, we are not skilled with creating those type of events. When we start talking about having thousands of people participate in a colour run type of experience or we're doing big double deck decker bus builds and things like that and just a, a touring experience it might be a touring tennis court or something like that that they just don't have the production expertise so yes i would say some pr agencies do some great experiences particularly influencer activation i think that more and more experiential is moving into those 
smaller, immersive, high-impact events with influencers activating them so that we can spread mm. the message kind of far and wide. But I think that, again, there's, oh, there is lots of overlap, but I guess it's understanding a PR agency is going to come at it from that PR point of view. So what, what are you buying kind of thing and what point of view are you looking for, really? And when you say that point of view, you mean they're probably looking at creating an experiential event that will get With a news additional com- yeah. coverage. Yeah, exactly. So we would often... Like giving out Tim Tams in Martin Place or building... Because no, uh, <laughs> no one in their right mind would all say that Martin Place is a great place to activate unless you want to reach the media. Well, right outside Channel 7 Studios. Exactly. So, you know, you tick Martin Place for, you know, another objective, which is that kind of thing. So you'll see certain styles of activations which PR agencies will do. But are they probably dabbling in immersive technology? Probably not. Are they at the forefront of, you know, experiences? Probably not, because that their KPI is to get that earned media. Now, you mentioned just a moment ago, how you worked for the Because in London mm. and you went there from New Zealand? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What And now you've had the business here for how long? It'll be nine years this year. Right. So what would be the biggest differences you see in, between the UK and Australia, if any, in the approach to experiential? I think it's far more aggressive in the UK. Um, you see, like, every other week there's another residency, another pop-up, another immersive experience. I just think the landscape is so... I think it's so hard to get cut through with your media. Um, the cost of the point-of-market entry in the UK for media is arguably probably more expensive. It's kind of cheaper to get on TV and to hear TV. You can reach a lot of you get good household penetration. So I think that that would be one thing, that far more competitive... The creativity, I think I think there's lots of great creative ideas here. What I see is people saying, I love that, oh, but it's just a bit too risky for us. Or they'll, they'll buy a pitch concept from us and then run with something completely watered down or conservative because there's a worry that we're pushing it. So they, it's almost like you get selected for pushing the boundaries, but when it comes to it, there's a real scare, you know, scaredy catness of, of failure kind of mm. thing. And I think that, which is a shame because I think that, you know, this is a great country to do experiences in. Well, and it's that's an interesting observation because it's not just an experiential. Mm. I've heard that from so many different agencies of all different types mm. that, you know, you get selected because you're pushing the boundaries, you're creating new things, you're innovative, you know, all of the things that market. But I want say. to see someone else do it first. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And I wonder, because one of the things is that uh, people have also observed, agencies have also observed, that in the pitch process, yeah. you're often talking to the most senior people in marketing. Yeah. And that the implementation then gets handed down to the middle level or junior mm. uh, marketing level yeah. where there is a natural conservatism. Yeah, and I think that, I think like experiential marketing can be quite hard hard work sometimes you know and I'm not saying that people but you know we've all got limited hours in the day so I think that what I see is the marketers who are winning with the experiential here are people who are doing it a lot so they understand it what it means for their business kind of thing they're not dipping in and dipping out of it kind of thing so they've got a clear view on okay this is what those 
this type of experience doesn't really work for us at this type of event. So you know, social amplification, photo mechanics, not every single person wants to do a hashtag at events, you know, unless it's Coachella. You know, so let's not try and do it at some sort of really conservative kind of event. So yeah, I think that people do select you for something more innovative. I also see it that there's not enough test and learn budget and not enough measurement budget. So this is really going back to my time in the UK, we would, some of our clients would arbitrarily have to put 5% of the budget away for measurement. And that measurement would either take place in-house by the client or they would work with a third-party research agency. So that would happen more often than not. Do I see that happening here? Not so much, which is a shame because we end up marking our own homework, which, you know, I'm not saying that we're, we're but I think that from a principal perspective, that's not great you know to be the investment continues to rise we should be doing more with our own even if you're using your own data from your own company to do that that's sort of and I think just testing and learning put saying okay we've come to year end we've got a 50 we've got fifty thousand dollars let's do something with where we take away those KPIs and the KPIs become about let's learn something here mm-hmm. that we can build on so I don't see quite so much that happening there and I don't think that's to do with having more budget or something like that. I just think it's an appetite to view innovation as an investment. And what if we fail? Well, then we've learned something. Is uh, potentially part of that driven by the fact that budgets are often broken up into sort of almost a tier one, tier two, tier three? Yeah. Um, you know, the old above and below the line, as it used to be called. Yeah. And that uh, experiential for a lot of marketers is sort of seen as, this is our campaign and yeah. here's our experiential budget and here's, you know, so they're not really thinking about it in the, the way you're talking about it? Potentially, and I think that comes down to having a, an understanding of strategically what thrusts we can deliver against for them as a business and, you know, brands who understand the role of experience that, you know, you might be a digital first brand. So it's really, really important that you do some human, show that you do human experiences. So show that real human face to your brand. So I think that's what it probably is. So I think, yes, being a silo and being like a small bucket probably, but also really understanding what might be different marketing mixes. Because we're doing some work in the US with Mm. a a very large uh, experiential agency. Mm. And it was really interesting because they said almost all their clients Mm. are now moving towards retainers Mm. because experientials become so strategically central to their strategy that they're not doing this event by event. They're actually planning out a whole year of... Correct. And and then replicating that year on year um, to look at and and measure incremental improvement from those activities. Is that something that is in a very large mature market like the US or does that occur here as well? I think it does occur here, absolutely, just on a smaller scale. But I think, again, it's having that, I think, clients are at the mercy of like living and dying by their quarters, their month by month numbers kind of thing. So I think it takes I think it takes a real investment in brand building to to and to really clearly like walk the walk, not just talk the talk on that with that one. So yeah, I think that absolutely there are brands in this market who take it as seriously as that. Um, and I think that also they know the economies of scale that you know they're already spending millions on it. Why don't we look at this annually? There are cost savings to be had there, and perhaps we can produce better value from actually not working on a project by project basis all the time. Mm. Yeah. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, when we talk about global marketers mm. and the idea of, you know, there's a shift away from the global campaign to doing more on a local basis, mm. there needs to be a recognition of the differences between market by market, doesn't mm. it? It does. But, you know, I think that experiential toolkits, we as an agency make a lot of them for different markets. I think it needs to all, I think that comes down to having a big enough having strong global and local market insights feeding into the planning process of it and then also giving the local markets enough flexibility to be able to, within the idea, to execute it what's right for them. So I think that we're, the alcohol guys, you know, are so much further ahead in understanding how do you create how do you create global concepts which can be rolled out, it looks the same in London as it does in Taiwan, but with slight local nuances kind yeah. of thing. Because fundamentally... People are people. People are people, you know. But there are cultural differences. Of course, but, you know, I think that those sort of global ideas need to leave enough flex for the local teams to be able to, you're not saying dictating it like 100% to the letter. But, uh, you know, I'll pick up there on the fact, you know, alcohol itself, Mm. the experience is the consumption of the product. Yeah. So, um, you know, in that way, it lends itself to amplify the brand experience, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. But I think that, you know, we do a lot of work with energy providers as well. Now, energy is completely intangible, um, but it's all about making it also all about making that emotional connection. I think it's it's fundamentally quite hard with a utility to do that. But we need to make sure that there's top of mind awareness so that when people are looking to change energy provider, that they've had a positive association with that brand. So that real brand love stuff when you're talking about a utility where there's no there's no, we're not asking people to flick on the, you know, the, the light switch and show us the energy kind of thing. So I think that experience marketing has moved away a lot from that taste and touch to, you know, show me, show me different ways of experiencing that product. Well, in fact, uh, utilities are interesting because uh, there's been some great experiential mm. innovations. Mm. Um, there's a utility, an energy company that's allowing people to trade their energy, and now there's one that. Uh, will allow you to subscribe. They've come up with a subscription model yeah, that just subscribe to your power and then they just give you a monthly fee. So you're paying the wholesale price for energy. Actually, um, a friend and ex-client of mine from British Gas and Heineken UK runs Energy Club in New Zealand. He was a founder and that's exactly that concept, that for a small fee you're part of a club and you can access rates at the rates that they buy them at from the, the wholesale the wholesale energy market. So, you know, talk about that whole direct-to-consumer mm. kind of model. That's that. But for energy, exactly. You know. You know. So it's interesting how, um, you know, in many ways, the marketing mm. paradigms going back to let's think about the product or the the, the offering. Totally. Not just trying to bolt on an experience on top of oh. it. Actually, go back to the very heart of the. Uh, oh, hundred percent. So when you call the call center, is it a great positive experience? Do you get straight through straight away? That you know, I think that, and when when we talk about brand experience, it. Really, it is about mapping that whole customer journey. But frankly, that's quite frightening for a lot of marketing people because where the marketing department sits, they don't have say over all of those touch points. So we can talk about improving the customer experience, but the reality is that's often in the little bit that you make in control. So I think where we win and when we work with clients is when we start to understand the different departments and this just happens often organically that you start working with this team over here and this one and you see actually they've got similar objectives and we're doing this event here how about we plug in this loyalty scheme over the top of it that we start getting this single-minded 
experience where we can deliver against it. But that's what you're talking about is absolutely brand experience, experiential as a as a, as a yeah, so, so when you we started this conversation and we were talking about, you know, brand experience, mm. I hadn't yet made the connection with customer experience because yeah. almost every business yeah. is talking these days about enhancing customer experience. Oh, no, it drives me bonkers because I sometimes read those things and I think, oh, I've got to skill myself up on that, you know, and then I read it and I'll be like, Oh, okay. I think I, I think we already do that, but we don't want this. It's, it's you not labelled customer yeah. experience because it's seen as a function of sort of promotion rather than product placement, pricing, all the other P's that came Cor- under marketing. Correct, and or that it's just a digital thing. And I see like customer experience, you know, documents. And I'll be like, oh, that's great. It's just you know, that's the the user journey or something like that. And I'm not, but I don't want to belittle people that focus on that one sort of sector. But really. Everything is an ex- a chance to have an experience, and the smart companies focus on that rather than just the campaigns that go over the top of it. Because I always uh, used to laugh, you know, that the companies that would spend millions and millions of dollars advertising, mm. saying how they're, you know, all especially services companies, we're all about service, we're all about you, yeah. and then you'd phone the call centre, and first of all, you'd be on hold for 45 minutes. Yeah. And then when you got through to someone, they'd say, no, we can't help you. And then they'd put you on hold while they're trying. And then the call would drop out. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, the, the, and and yet outwardly, we're talking about those messages, you know, saying, oh, we're great at this, we're great at this. It's like, well, did you even call your own customer service line? Like, why don't we start with some of the basics? And I, we never, um, I, you know, work with numerous sort of SMEs who are, you know, Friends, friends who have businesses and things like that, I'm like, if there's one thing you do, just just focus on what, what that customer experience is like. Is it good at every touch point? Get your nana to call up. You know, go when you fill out the form online, does somebody call you back quickly? You know, mm. if you ask to, or is it actually set to an out of hours? So sorry, we're not you're gonna have Zendesk on your, you know, website, but it's not gonna be manned most of the time that people are online. So I think that looking at that holistic piece, um, and also within your employees as well, you know, we do a lot. So experience marketing, if we talk, call it this sort of broader kind of term, we do a lot within, um, you know, customer experience, employee engagement and employee experience now as well, because I 100% believe that if you can't win with your 40,000 employees, what hope do you have over here? <laughs> you know, yeah. like if you're a bank and most of your employees don't bank with you, it's not really a great start, is it? Exactly. You yeah. Know, if they're not using the service, why should anyone else? And they are the face. Yeah, and I think that that is come judging by the type of breaks that we're getting through. There are a lot of companies who are saying, "Let's harness the power of our own employees as ambassadors." They are influencers. Everyone's an influencer now. You know, like you know, you know, we always have been with our friends and family. So if we've got forty thousand people in our company, let's get them to lead our charges. Pretty one plus one equals three, I'd say, in marketing. But it, it hasn't always been like that. But you pointed out uh, quite rightly that marketers are often charged with customer experience, but they're never given the authority or even the influence to actually influence the customer experience. Yeah. Because marketing is not really marketing. It's actually the comms department, marketing comms department. Yeah, and they not send the... out some information kind of every now and then. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got friends who are like, oh, yeah, I write things for the intranet. That's, that's the extent of my really, they're like, that's what they truly feel that their deliverable is, you know. And like what a wholly untapped potential that you've got people who could oversee a lot of it 
um, from start to finish. But, you know, why not? But I guess it's just the si- how it's the siloed nature of things. Yeah, the um, marketoonist Tom Fishburne had yeah. a great cartoon which uh, had the CMO had a lever yeah. and was told, well, this is this is how we want you to build the customer experience. And he said, well, what is it? Well, that's your uh, budget for your comms budget. Yeah. You can either pull it or, or push it back yeah. and spend more or less money. Yeah. And he goes, well, what if it doesn't work? And he goes, that's okay, we'll just cut the budget. <laughs> it's a bit frustrating, isn't yeah. it, when yeah. it's all reduced to a comms yeah. budget rather than an experience budget. So if there's, um, you know, marketers, when they come to you mm. to talk about uh, developing an, a brand experience or a customer yeah. experience, yeah. what are the types of things that you're looking for in their brief or their problem or their opportunity that really makes an exciting, you know, an exciting opportunity? Does it lend itself to an experience? I think, you know, the type of category kind of thing. Is it, are we, first of all, looking at the brief, can we deliver on the objectives? Because some people come to us and say, we want a virtual reality campaign, you know. So and then we, you know, because we do VR and AR, we have to do that classic step back of, you know, is this really? So they've already jumped to the execution. Correct, you right. know, because they want a new, maybe want a new shiny thing, or somebody's told them internally. So first of all, looking like someone at, turning up and saying, "I want a TV ad." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So first of all, do they understand what their problem is? Are we the right fit for them as a business, yeah. kind of thing? As in, like, can we genuinely help? Um, I would say clear purpose and understanding of their objectives. Like for me, sexy clients, whilst they're great, when I say sexy, I'm meaning obviously Nike and Adidas, if you wanted to call me, that'd be fine. Um, But I think that it doesn't need to be sexy categories, which lead themselves really well to experience sort of marketing. It can be quite tricky to communicate things. It could be, you know, we've done stuff for like cancer societies talking about the, you know, signs and symptoms of bowel cancer, like Mm. really very, very, you know, specific things to, you know, pull a message through to drive action to get people to a GP. So we will look at it that is there a real understanding of the problem? Can we help? Um, and I guess the fit and desire of the team as well that you're working with, I think that's very, very important. Are they really passionate about what they do and why they may want to why they why they might want to be moving into this space? Um, and we can tell that by things like, and this is probably you know all, every agency would say the same thing. Really good briefing. So a couple of years ago, I went to a briefing. It was out at um, uh, on the northern beaches, and they'd hired sort of a whole room, and it was a full immersive briefing with the most amazing, you know, sort of TED style talk to get it, you know, going. And we all walked out of the room. We were like, we really want to work on this. That we're actually going to, you know, solve some problems here. And it was so inspiring that it must have taken them a lot of effort to get the agencies in the room. And do a presentation and make it interactive but by gosh that's like stuck with me and my team forever after as, as, a as a prime as a example like, of know? how to do it yeah and it's like if you think about that whole what i'm talking about like you know employee engagement thinking about your agency's engagement about are you going to make them absolutely want to work, work you know work their socks off for you because every agency works hard but do they believe in your mission? Have you got a clear mission? So when we look at the brief, I think that that's, again, something that we go, oh, that's juicy. So how important is it for them to have very clear objectives and measurable objectives? Not wholly important, but obviously once at the that briefing stage, initially, but I think we need to get back to that because the business will have a KPI. And that's whenever we have clients that say, oh, we haven't got a budget, I'm like, red flags, I'm like, you, you do have a budget assigned, so then I'll tr- 
trying to force the hand of well, what do we need to, how many increments of whatever you need to sell more of, you know, where are we going from, hit X, Y, to help them tease out what those objectives are. Because I think that people often don't do it because they just don't know maybe how to approach or even to put a line in the sand of this is what we think it'd be, can we work it out together? So for me, the business problem is the most important. Is there a problem that we can help solve and then we can work those things out? But, you know, I think some people just avoid writing the KPIs or because I think it is actually quite hard to write very specific objectives sometimes, you know, and I think that if it, if, and sometimes it's okay to be like, we just want to learn what this means for our customers, you know. Some people love going down to their experiences. Like the Australian Open is, you know, on at the moment. That's a flagship of all the activations, sort of central kind of thing. People love seeing their, you know, and I say like people as in clients, they love seeing their, their brand coming to life in the real world and real people interacting with it. There's something magical about that. Is that a KPI for you? But actually we just want to see our brand come to life out of this digital world or wherever we operate in. That's fine. So I think that making sure there's that mix of hard KPIs and those softer ones, because that that can be a reason why. It's like we want to get all of our trade teams down there. We want to show them what we're all about. We want to give them a feeling of you know what our coffee brand is or whatever it might be. So yes, having specific KPIs and objectives, very important. Do we get those all the time? No. And what's the difference between not getting them and getting them? Oh, <laughs> I think a good agency will help you work through them. I think that they'll be pushing for those because otherwise how can you, you know, somebody in the boardroom. If, I always think it's like, you know, we want to have boardroom level conversations. You know, we don't want to have, you know, these sort of small snippets of budget, which is sort of the off cuts at the end. And it's kind of okay if we didn't really deliver something, you know. So I think it, the outcome will be, if your agency is managing you well, should be that we can prove that we should get more budget to do this. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to show success so that we can grow our business while we grow yours. Yeah, business success and marketing success. Yeah. It's interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of this also comes into things like uh, sports sponsorship yeah. and uh, entertainment sponsorship and the activation of those. Correct. Obviously falls in under this. Exactly. And again, that's where overlap kind of happens. And I can see it's confusing for people. Um, I always say to people, I'm like, we're not a sports sponsorship activation. We're not a music one. And I was like, we create experiences. And if the platform you've already got, you know, sorted is the Olympics, well, then it's up to us to do that. And, you know, you don't need to be, I'm, I don't think you need to be a specialist in all of those. And I'm not, I think that there clearly are specialists in those, but I think that you can see with how the fragmentation of that market of, you know, that, clients are looking for agencies outside of being sports sponsorship because they also know that their customers, whilst they enjoy sport over here, they're also fully rounded people who are not just into sports. So how are we going to extend that experience into dealerships or you know beforehand with our employees? So I think that there's, again, there's lots of overlap, but I think that for me, and that's coming from my point of view of our business, is that I think it's better to be, you know, platform agnostic. You know, if, if it's right for you to do the colour run, then do the colour run. If it's right for you to do the agricultural shows or the baby shows, then that should that should be it. So that must mean you find yourselves working a lot with other agencies and other yep. companies. Yep. What what's uh, what's the secret to collaborating from your perspective with those other companies because yeah sticking yeah. to your knitting i'd say stick to your knitting and just be be aware of what you've been brought to the t i think be be mindful 
of what you've been brought to the table for. So for example, for one of my clients at the moment, we are shopper, I say shopper activation, shopper, it's kind of sales promotion really. Mm. Now we sit alongside an experiential agency. Now, clearly we'd like to be doing that as well, but it's not our role to be at that point sort of trying to, try. we're here for the client. So I think it's being mindful of that um, with the client and what capacity that they have employed you. Well, it's, uh, that's quite unusual because, you know, if you're an um, experiential agency and there's another experiential agency, uh, there could be an argument that why not consolidate the two? Could, could be. Yeah, it could be. And I mean, if it went to us, that would be great. But I think it's, I think, I think playing nicely, uh, agents, have, we, we all have egos and we've got to be mindful of that. But I think clients don't have the time to sort out the squabbling. And to be honest, we, the, the pitch that I was talking about with that amazing briefing, we actually had to pitch against another agency and that other agency was tendering for three pieces of business and within the same piece of business. And the client just said, I was just really glad that you pitched for what I put you forward for. And you did such a great job, but we always wanted to work with you, kind of thing. Yeah. So, and that was a good lesson in know why you've been put Play at the table. Play to your strengths. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and you know, if there's an opportunity for you to grow the pie with that client through, you've got trust and you've got understanding, because clearly we all want to sell cross service, especially once you've got a good relationship with a client mm. and understand them. But, but there's um, a lot of you know, um, uh, it, it's a real struggle for a lot of marketers trying to get agencies working together. I because think, yeah. because well, yeah. maybe it's because you know you said uh, stick to what you've been asked to do. Mm-hmm. But perhaps part of it is that marketers are not particularly clear probably, in why they're yeah. appointing an agency, what they're appointing them to do. Yeah, and also probably communicating it with the other agencies that we've bought because or whoever it might be on board to do this for us. This is what we're going to help. This is how we see it, fit, you know, sort of fitting. Um, also, I think it's just that leadership piece as well around like, you know, they are, if they are the conductor of the orchestra or is it the media agency or is it the creator? So is there a lead agency kind of function or is it going to be led by the client? Are they the conductor? In which case we are, you know, parts where the strings or whatever. So I think some of that not playing nicely comes down to not, great management of, you know, understanding the parties and the posturing and things like that and cutting out that behaviour. Because, mm. you know, um, the agency will look at the client's total budget and what's my share of that pie. Totally. Because there would be a certain amount of, you know, pressure to maximise your share of budget. Of course, but I think it's really hard because, you know, we all just want to grow our businesses, but I think you do have to keep thinking what is right for the client and that... That might not always get you thanks in the short term, but with the good clients who stick with you, I, I, I think it does pay rewards to be true to your word and true to your discipline and the value that you create. And if it's a case of saying, you've only given us 100 grand for this, we actually need an extra 50 grand, and that, that's what we can deliver. It's also being honest then that you know, we can do it for you, but it's not going to be as great. So I think it's having those conversations where it can go, really is it going to be... We need less money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think having the balls to be able to say we can do that, but it's not going to, this. if you give me that little 20% more, that this is what it'll do, rather than just take the money and be like, oh, yeah, well, you didn't give us quite enough. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's uh, quite a bit of cynicism about that because, mm. you know, often people will say, well, there's never enough money for the agency. No, I agree. But I think that if you've done your numbers and you're, and especially if it's one-offs, I think the one-offs are really, you know, hard to manage. So whereas if you've got a client where you're doing quite a few repeat 
activations, then you start building an asset base. You start understanding who the influencers are that you activate. You start, then you can start getting some economies of scale around planning and things like that as well. So I think it it's hard when it's disparate planning, which quite often is all is campaign related. Mm. So I think that you know that's that does come back to that the question around is it something that's looked at as a fundamental in our plan? Like in in, in New York, the budgets are crazy. It's crazy what they spend on experiential, you know, it's oh, huge. Oh, the US is unbelievable in scale. In scale. But also... Their, sh- their it, share of the pie. Yeah. You know, so... But they also, you know, the best agencies mm. seem to work very hard to prove value as well. Correct. And we say to our clients that we will match their investment in third-party measurement, we will dollar-for-dollar dollar match it. Okay, so you you know putting your performance Correct. on the yep. line. Yep, and, and you just said earlier that you know it, a lot a lot of people do. Mm. Right. Interesting, isn't it? It is interesting, but then I guess sometimes I think we move so quickly in our world that you know I just think that sometimes people looking back, it's you know the, 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 their world may have moved on to something else that's more important. You know, things turn really really quickly, and I guess yeah. Well, you know, it's not unusual because we even have these conversations with media agencies mm. who will say that, you know, a client will be at a time when the agency's trying to debrief them on a particular media investment, they're already talking about briefing them on the next one yeah. without integrating any of the lessons or any of the insights that have come out from the previous. 100%. And it's so interesting you say that. My team were going through an evaluation from last year of a repeat activation. They said, you know what, we actually implemented our learnings and this was the outcome. So I think that having consistent client relationships, consistent, and clients move around just like agency people do, but trying to keep that thread alive of what was the things that's worked and where do we continue because it's those continuous improvements those small increments that over time deliver the big performance everybody's looking for a disruptive campaign the reality is i think most of the time it's about building on things and learning learning and making sure that you're continuously improving Mm. and that way you build longer term relationships more productive relationships and get better return on investment absolutely and it's far more enjoyable for everybody involved to be have be able to pick up the phone to their agency and say, we've got this problem, I'm going to shoot you something on an email. It doesn't need to be a completely long-winded briefing. It doesn't need, you know, we've done, all, they've already done all that great onboarding. Then it becomes, it's, when you get to that sweet spot, and I think that that's across any discipline of agency, it's a wonderful thing, but it does take time and investment and, you know, consistency on, on both parties to keep nurturing that relationship. And I guess that would be my hope that experiential starts to, have those consistent relationships because that's when we can perform. Um, unfortunately, I'm still not clear mm. on what, how I define with my clients mm. what experience, an experiential agency does because if everything's an experience and if it's all bring about customers. Call it bring to life brands then. You can say bring to life brands. You know, connect connect you with your customer. It's going to vary from client to client and category to category because what they need and who they think can deliver it. And as you said, the big problem is there are so many overlaps. We've got holding companies that have bought agencies and businesses that work in every part. We've got others that are like um, uh, uh, sales, uh, sorry, sports sponsorships. 
that have already gone into activation as a natural yep. extension of that. Yeah. We've got shopper marketing specialists that are working in, you know, experiential around shopper. You know, totally. But I guess it's more taking that step back of like that whole that strategy piece. And with, we've done one of those exact things where we've had to unpack everything that they do in the live environment, unpack it, look at where does it sit against what we're trying to achieve, say are we in or are we are, and retrofit a strategy around what they're currently doing and, and have a bit of an exit plan for that. So I think that it's, and, and you were obviously work as a pitch and procurement kind of consultant, I think it's rare that you're going to find the right fit through, the, through a pitch process. It's only going to be when you work with the agency that you see, do they actually genuinely under, understand our business? What other value? I think that's probably the other thing I'd say is that often clients might come for one thing that, I'm just making this up now, we need to, we're doing an experience at Vivid, but actually there might be so many other things that this agency can do for before that event, during it and, and after it. Of what, course. What more can you get from them? But that's a part that's of our job is to actually unlock el- el- elicit from the client what is it that they're wanting to achieve. Yeah. And the thing is that they the categories seem to be, you know, a shopper, it's yep. very clearly defined, Sport, uh, sponsorship, sponsorship activation, uh, events, you know, yep. they'll come down to the execution yeah, or the, the sort of context yep. rather than thinking about it in a more holistic way. Totally. Like, you know, they're, they're this one is of what the, I need. No, yeah. Like we, I said before, you know, walking in and going, I need a TV ad. Well, yeah. is TV actually the best solution for you? What is it that you're trying to, you know, yeah. well, actually, apparently no one wants a TV ad these days, <laughs> even know. though we still see TV ads get launched every other week. But you know. Correct. So, yeah, I think that understanding of what you're trying to achieve and then it does come, to, it's always going to come down to chemistry and creative, isn't it? You know, how do you feel that you can work with these people? Because I think that, you know, and then this goes back to the holding company thing, do you just want to interface with those two people in the room and you're happy that the two people that are actually going to deliver it, you don't even know who they are? And this could be, you know, a campaign that's live in market for 100 days that's got high risk written all over it because you're, you know, a, a risky category at the moment. So, you know, I think if clients aren't going to do their own due diligence on who they're working with in the live environment and whether they really do what they say they do, because anybody can have a flashy showreel, and you'd know this from your oh. sort of side of the fence. But everyone can do everything. Totally. But I think it's, <laughs> it's only when things, I always say, talk to people about, we've done, we do a lot of tech things with technology, we always have. I can talk, talk to you about all the things that have gone wrong over the last, you know, over 10 years that I've worked at, at Because, you know, as like, when we talk about the things that have gone wrong, it means that we're going to get it more right for you, you know? and Because you're learning from cause everyone. Because we've, we've, we've learned them, and, and mm. also because we've actually invested it, we're not just talking about VR, we did that years ago, mm. you know, and we know how that works now, kind of thing, we've had the learning. So I think that just making sure, I guess, if you're looking for who you're going to select, make sure that they really do have a deep understanding, because it's one thing to do three or four campaigns for a couple of clients a year it's another thing to do hundreds meredith kramer it's been a pleasure talking to you but we've run out of time thanks very much for your time well and just before we go i've got a question for you Uh, from your own personal experience what is the very worst brand experience you've ever had (laughs) 